Today on the Investing for Freedom podcast, we have a good friend of mine, Damian Lupo, on the show. You guys are really going to enjoy this show. Um, anytime I ever get to have a conversation with Damian, which is usually a couple times a week, um, I just always leave so inspired and just learn something crazy and new about him. Here's what's really cool. Um, there's a lot of amazing things that Damien does and has done, but he just drops some really practical wisdom in this show. And the one thing that I'm really excited for you guys to hear and understand, you know, there's so many people that have wanted to invest in real estate or other assets that have all of their retirement and capital wrapped up in the stock market in a traditional 401k, um, that type of investment. And Damien shares with us um, through a business that he has and has had for a while and is probably one of the leading experts in. He shares with us right now how you can take capital because of the CARES Act and transfer it right now into a retirement program with no penalties um, and invest in real estate or other tangible assets, which is super exciting. This is such a great opportunity for us right now because, like I said, so many people are invested in the you know, traditional stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and have wanted to figure out how to get some of that retirement income moved over. Well, here's your opportunity. Um, some of my favorite sayings, I think we talked through most of this, but one of the things that Damien said to me a while back, more is not better. It's just more. That's super interesting. I could think about that statement for days. Another thing that he's always challenging me on is what might you do? That's the question. What might you do if you really sat back and, you know, thought and spent time thinking and uh, really tapped your inner being and then went out and applied it? What might you do? Anyway, uh, I'm not going to delay any longer. Let's just get into the show with Damien because it is a good one. You guys are in for a treat. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. So I would argue with Dos Equis about who the most interesting man in the world is. I was just thinking that, man. <laughs> I actually have him on the show today. His name's Damian Lupo, and I've just had the pleasure of getting to know him um, much better in the last six months. Um, Damian, your mission is to free one million people from financial bondage, which is so interesting, and I appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, my mission is to help elevate the mindset and help escalate the net worth of humanity. So we cross in a lot of areas, but I just love how simple and pointed that is. Um, free one million people from financial bondage. Just give me some insight into that. Well, originally back in the 20 years ago when I started investing and doing my, some of my first businesses, my thought was millions of dollars for Damien was the, the plan and the goal and the mission. And so more was the mission. It was, it was a whole lot of M&Ms. And um, that's great. But like you mentioned with expanding the, the net worth of humanity, my problem was that when my net worth ended up going negative, my self-worth was my net worth. And, and so I, because I didn't have a mission that was beyond me, it was it left me very lost and hollow and shallow. And I mean, I was probably pretty shallow before that, but the, the problem with having just money is that there's never enough of it. And you, you never really feel like you're, um, like it's like you're on the right track for fulfillment. Even when you have a big payday or something, there's, there's this piece that's missing. And I think that that's the spiritual side 
because a spiritual piece of us, and this isn't a religious conversation, it's the spiritual piece that drives us, is wants us to be more than just a consumption machine. And, and that's what I was really good at was that consumption machine. Now a million people's lives being impacted is a very focused place to be because people don't want shackles on. Nobody wants to be in slavery. And we all kind of are in a different way. Uh, breaking those shackles and helping people to learn how to fish and break the shackles forever is, is something that gets me up in the morning. Sometimes it keeps me up all night too. <laughs> I love it. We're going to come back to this. Um, so I don't necessarily need an answer, but you have said to me several times that more is not more. It's just more. Is that how you say it? Or how? Yeah, more isn't better. People think more that more, you know, more wine, more food, more money, more sex, more. It's not necessarily better. I mean, you, if you take those four things I just said, and more money is more complicated, doesn't mean it's better. More wine is definitely not better at some point. It's actually way worse. More food, you get fat and you die. More sex, and, and you know, things start to hurt. So, like, <laughs> it's, it, there's a point where it's like diminishing return. And, and I, we've been convinced in this perpetual consumer society where we're supposed to be out there producing and consuming. We're, we're, we're convinced that if we don't do more, then everything's going to fall apart. It's because of the, of the way our financial system was set up and our monetary system, printing money and expanding it with this fiat system, we have to be doing more for that system. And, and we're kind of all part of this machine, but it's not really a freedom machine. It's somebody else's machine where we're the cogs. And so I, I don't think that we necessarily have to do that unless we're going to act like sheeple. We can actually make a different decision. And, and it's a free decision. It's you're investing and you're living and you're doing for freedom, not for somebody else's balance sheet. I love it. So four questions that we get into with every guest. I want to kind of just peel back to that. It might open up some stuff that in case we run out of things to talk about, which I don't think we will. Um, so who's had the greatest impact on your life? You know, I, I bring up my dad a lot in these conversations and it's not, it's, so it's an interesting thing because a lot of people have heroes and I, I've learned a ton from different people. One of the reasons that my dad comes up is because in a lot of ways, you know, bless his soul, as they say, say in there, bless his heart, as they say in the South, he was more of a warning in a lot of ways, like don't do this. Mm. And so it's very impactful to see people living in pain, to see them die right before they die. They're in regret for the things that they didn't do, for the scarcity that they lived while they were around, for the, the sheer pain and terror of getting to the next month and wondering how you're going to feed your family. Like all those things were, were tremendously valuable to me because they were so painful to watch. It just, it scarred my heart and my soul. And it just, it gave me this, this emotional intelligence around how painful it was to find a different way. And so it pushed me past any of the procrastination because I wasn't feeling it. I thought, you know what, you know what's worse than the, the struggle of going and doing and learning is showing up like my dad did. Mm. And, and I don't want that for anybody. And so I can't start with me. I, I mean, I need to start with me and make sure it's not happening for me either. Yeah, it's good. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? The sheer volume and speed of making mistakes and screwing everything up. There's, there's no doubt that that is the key to success, to growth, to life, to wealth. It's the mistakes. It's not about being an A student. It's like literally how many things can you screw up how fast? And you, it's amazing how fast the growth. In fact, when we were um, studying with Robert Kiyosaki not too, you know, last year, he was talking about the definition of wealth. And it's not about cash flow or cash or, or any of this stuff. It's about the growth. It's about what you've done and how you've learned by doing things. It, it's not a book. It's not a class. It's literally going out there and stubbing your toes and bleeding your nose and making sure you've gone through it. That's where the wealth is created because it can't be taken away and it gets leveraged into instincts 
that now turn you into a machine where you can make decisions without having to look at a spreadsheet. That's only be, that's only done when you've actually gone out and done things. You know, you're, you're just bringing up so many things. And I, I think that you've just touched on something. I think so many people don't experience life to its fullness or even scratch the surface because they're, they're, they're scared. They're, they're, they're afraid of failing. There is, well, we're, we're, we're taught, we're trained by the system. There is some idiot Harvard academic that said it's actually tyrannical. This is this week. It's tyrannical to have kids taught at home because they need to be taught within the school system. And I thought, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, when you're I, I'm totally losing my train of thought because I just it brought up that Harvard, you know, academic. And there's, there's so much that we should not learn from academics that actually haven't been into anything. Um, what was your actual question that you just asked me? Well, it, it was just kind of just, I, I guess, more than anything, piggybacking on what you said about, you know, the fear of failure, basically, right. um, the sheer volume of failure. And I think so many people are so scared to do anything that they don't move. They just don't move. And sometimes, you know, I had somebody pose a thought to me a while back and it was, um, let me get this right. So do actions, do strategies create actions or do actions create the strategy? And I think there's some combination of both, but it just got my, my head spinning because I think a lot of times, even in academia and business planning and everything else, we want to have this clear strategy developed, this one-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year strategy in order to determine our actions. But sometimes you got to just get moving, especially in environments like this. Things are changing so quickly. We can't be scared to take action right now. We've got to move. And so um, that's just kind of... Well, and, and to, to that point about actions and strategies... And a lot of times people will strategize until they're blue in the face and, they've not, and their feet are numb because they haven't moved. And you, you have to have action, but we don't take action because we're trained to not make mistakes. We're trained to be A students. We're trained to make sure you get it right or otherwise you're, you're ostracated and you know, ostracized. You're thrown out of the, of the community because you're a failure. And, and we, I remember as a kid being told, we're so proud of our son because he's gotten straight A's. And I'm thinking, I just knew how to memorize crap. Yeah. Like I wasn't, I wasn't really good at anything. I could just take it in short-term memory and cram for things. And, and you know, maybe I was good at a little math, but the, our system is not set up for people. In fact, it's funny because if you think about the real world, like in, in school, we're taught if you get 90 or 90%, you're an A student. In the real world, that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. There is no 90%. Actually, there is. It's called a government job. You just play <laughs> it safe all the time. Yeah. If you get 50% right in the real world, you're a billionaire. If you do that in school, they throw you out and you fail out, you get kicked out. So there's, you know, we're, we're getting different lessons and we're getting different uh, messages and they're, they're literally opposite, mm -hmm. but we were so afraid of, like you see people, I remember going to school. Um, I went back when I was in my early thirties, I went back to, to get an undergrad because I'd been actually thrown out of school for starting a bookstore in one of my previous colleges. And I thought I'm going to go get an economics degree, even though I'd, I'd had at that point about 35, 40 companies and had made millions. I go back there in my first class and I was like with a bunch of freshmen it was one of those movies, like the 40 year old freshman, it was almost me. And I'm sitting there studying and this teacher said, what's the purpose of government? It was the government class. And all these freshmen are trying to figure out what the answer is to get it right. And they're raising their hand and they're answering. And she says, no, actually what it is, it's, um, it's, here's what it is. And we're all, you know, we're waiting and I'm thinking, what is she actually going to say? Cause she's younger than me. And she said, it's the, the government's role is to decide what resources are created, produced, and how they're distributed amongst the people. And everybody's writing their, their, you know, their notes down. And I'm thinking, great, Karl Marxist <laughs> class. It's Karl Marx himself is teaching this class. 
and people are, are that's how they're being trained and so we we don't we don't actually learn how to think we learn how to memorize and regurgitate and that's the biggest problem i think in our educational system we're not really being taught how to thought critically that's, think critically that's so good yeah amazing what was your greatest setback and what'd you learn from it uh greatest setback you know i, I remember right before things crashed and the, the thing that took me back is that my ego got so big i wasn't willing to um, to check it. And so I was making decisions thinking I knew everything. I had a lot of mentors. I still have mentors and masterminds. And there was a gap. And when that gap happened, I had a setback because I got blown over because I didn't have any experience knowing what was happening. It's kind of like now we have a lot of people that have, this is their first round of maybe making some money in real estate or doing some things and they don't have any reference point. And so they're thinking that this might be the end of the world. Why well, did too? I mean, that was my, you know, that was a big setback where I sat there and I didn't know what to do. I thought it was going to be the end. I lost all my money. I was negative 5 million bucks. And, and so I was just stuck. And so for, and you taught me this, this, the cycle of grief. I, I remember thinking back, oh, you know what? I was in the cycle of grief. I was ignoring it. I was denying it. I was depressed about it. Then I was, there was maybe a, some hope. And then I accepted and took responsibility. The biggest setback was not knowing what to, how to process it and having my net worth and self-worth so tied together that there was, I was stuck. Mm. And I just spent, I literally spent several years in denial and just not really knowing what to do next. And I think a lot of people are going to be there unless they know how to reimagine, reinvent their lives and take responsibility for what's happened so far. You know, we're, we're going to get uh, more into the EQRP and all the things that you have to offer. But since we're talking about this right now, um, just having been able to spend a lot of time with you in the last three months, six months, um, you've got some programs and stuff out there. And I feel like I just want to make sure we cover this right now, because if you know, people don't listen to the whole show or whatever, you got some programs that kind of highlight that experience and some of the things that you went through, you wrote a book. And so where can, where can people find some of that? I want to make sure we get that out there because you are a voice right now that people need to hear. And so I want to make sure that they, they get that resource if, if, if for some reason they don't see it through to the end. Well, what I would encourage everybody to do is to go to my YouTube channel because I've, everything I'm producing right now, I'm just putting it on there. I mean, a lot of people create a lot of great content. And at some point, I'll have content that's available. I have a, a Black Belt Wealth program. It's financial literacy that I'm building. And that's a, that will be able to be purchased. What I've done in the meantime is just put all this, all these programs I'm doing, webinars and different think, reinvented life thinking for a change, a peak, a design, a decade by design, like all these different things, they're all on the YouTube channel and they're all free. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that because breaking shackles isn't just about making money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally about breaking the shackles. And sometimes that's a conversation. People say, well, I, I want to I hire you. And I go, let's just have a conversation. We may be able to get done with whatever you wanted in the next hour and I'm happy to do it. Yeah. And I'm happy to do it for free. So start off with the YouTube channel because you're going to have access to stuff that could fundamentally change your life because it took me a lifetime to get to a place where I could actually simplify the pain and get you through the hurdles. And in an hour and a half, your fun, your life may change just because of that, that one little investment you just made. So just Damien Lupo, is there a bunch of Damien Lupos out there? Or? <laughs> there's, there's a youtube.com forward slash Damien Lupo, I think is I like literally it. the channel. Now I'm not saying don't continue to listen to this show because we're going to get into some amazing things, but I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, people can find you because you've been a You've been a voice just for me in this time. I mean, we're going through some crazy stuff. I know everything's supposed to be evergreen, but we're dealing with COVID-19. It's the end of April. And so it's just timely. So um, I wanted to make sure we get that in there. So what is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? 
Um, be, be willing to be patient. There's in 2004 and five, I made a ton of money because I, I bought a bunch of houses and my timing happened to be good. All the market, the market was going crazy. It was going up, made a bunch of money. And I was so impatient thinking that I had to be doing something. Cause again, back to how we're trained, we're trained to be producers and to continue to contribute. And, and so instead of being patient, I threw my money, all these millions I'd made, I threw them right back into the market and said, Oh yeah, I'm Superman. I'm 10 feet tall and bulletproof. So what could go wrong? Well, you know, I, we, we saw what, what could go wrong. I had, it was either five or seven projects that I thought I'd make a million dollars on each. And all of them lost me over a million dollars each mm. inside of 12 months. So we really can't overestimate how wrong we can be. And, and so, I mean, that it's, it's part of the experience that I needed to go through. Uh, if I hadn't gone through that, it, it's unfortunate. I, you know, back 20 years ago, I remember somebody telling me, look, if you, if you want to invest with me or you want to be a business partner, come to me after you've lost a couple of companies. And I thought, what an idiot. I mean, if I have to, you're telling me that somebody isn't going to know what they're doing until they've lost a couple of companies. I now understand it because I've lost companies. I've had more than 50 companies that I've started and a number of them have failed and most of them weren't profitable. So, you know, I've, I've learned, we learn from those mistakes because there's pain, there's emotion. The, the fleeting success moment is not really that good of a teacher. In fact, success is a terrible teacher. Failing is where we learn. And so I had to go through those things. And now when I show up, I talk to people and, and we laugh about the things that we've done, the stupid things we've done. And what I find fascinating, Mike, is that there are people that have said, you know, I, I don't really want to have um, my students or my people. I, I don't want you to be close to them. I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want them to learn from you because you know, you've, you've had some losses and, and, you know, money's been lost. And I'm thinking, so you want people that are fake. Mm. You want people that have only ever done like positive things, meaning they've only ever won. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow, what a disservice that you don't have the whole picture. Because the reality is we don't win every time. Anybody that says I win every time is lying. Yeah. That's a, that's a marketing brochure. <laughs> Um, okay, man, that was amazing. We could just unpackage those four questions right there, but just take a few minutes, tell everybody about your background, um, where you came from. You've done so many things, but just <laughs> give it, give us the Damien Lupo 101. Well, one of the things that I, I haven't, I don't even know if I've ever shared this, but I've literally been chased by a moose twice in my life. <laughs> and, um, I was all, you know, I was on the verge of being eaten by a polar bear when I worked up in the Arctic Circle. So this all means that I came from Alaska. That's, you know, that's where things started. And it, it's a very, very cool place to visit. It's a very weird place to live. Ultimately, it just, it taught me a lot because being up there, I was de detached from kind of, I don't know, civilization in a lot of ways. And it, it forced me to get creative because I had this programming I mentioned from my dad about how we didn't have any, enough, where I was basically told, we don't have enough to even cover the bills and we haven't, even, we haven't finished, the, we, don't, we haven't bought food yet. And so I just, you know, I came from a place where, I was mad and frustrated and, uh, you know, I, I think we've got a lot of, what does what Robert Kiyosaki call them? Uh, snowflakes. We've got a lot of people out there. And I think that's like a derogatory term now, snowflakes. we got a lot of snowflakes, a lot of people that are just wusses and they haven't had any struggles. And I'm kind of hoping a lot of these people, maybe a lot of the millennials will feel some pain and some struggle right now going through this stuff because I struggled. I mean, I struggled as a kid. I went out there and dropped out of school and then I had some student loans and no real education. And then everybody thought I was crazy. So they're all trying to get me to go back to school. And meanwhile, I'm just out there figuring it out. 
And what I trusted was my own ability to adapt. And I think we've lost that because we're looking for the sanitized solution to everything these days. It's got to be clean. It's got to be pure. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody's feelings get hurt. And I was breaking, I was breaking everything. I was making everybody upset. Feelings were being hurt. Mine, everybody else's. And, you know, I was, I was, I was going through a process called life. Mm -hmm. It is messy. And so I went through that and ultimately found, you know, I don't know what business number it was, 10 or 12 was the real estate stuff. And then I spent almost a decade doing that where I was just following some, some crazy guys on stage that I saw in an infomercial and I was doing what they said instead of saying, oh, I'm smarter because I have a PhD mm. or an MBA. I literally just said, I don't know anything. I'll just do what you said. Yeah. And so I did it. And I think that's a, that's, it's a fairly simple formula for a lot of things if we're willing to do the work, but that's like a four letter word now. <laughs> work is, oh. I couldn't do work. I am blessed with an education and I should have a, four, a six figure salary with a corner office like we we've lost the ability to actually hunker down do the work have the tenacity keep going stub stumble and then get up like it's really that is the formula and and then being willing to be wrong and saying okay what am i missing and how can i do it better getting around people that are smarter and and healthier and wealthier than you are and then starting to blend into what they do and shifting yourself it's not that complicated but we don't do the work and so it it's very frustrating because it's not working. You know, I'm just seeing this theme thread together and it's making total sense to me now, just listening through all this and having many conversations with you. So when you said that the sheer volume of making mistakes, so there's, there's, you know, a, a group of people out there that when you say like work is a, it's a four letter word, right? It's a cuss word. But there, I know there's a group of people out there that are not scared to work hard. They're not scared to roll up their sleeves. And I think the key if, if we just got nothing away from this than this, just the sheer volume of making mistakes, you've been so successful and you've done so many different things because you're, you don't have an overwhelming fear of failure. It doesn't mean you want to fail, but you're not scared to go out there and try it. And then also surround yourself with mentors and people that are wiser than you that have gone before you and heed that advice. So, man, that's just powerful, the sheer volume of making mistakes. I love it. So on it, that- It also, it yeah, also gives you a ton of material for books. And it's an interesting <laughs> thing because, so I've written a lot of books and one of the powers in writing anything is it clarifies your thinking. Mm-hmm. And one of my, my talents is to take complex things and boil them down to simplicity. I don't think we really understand things at a simple level until we've gone through and, and touched the hot stove. And then it's like, okay, describe the situation. Ouch, hot. Like it's very simple. But describing that without having gone through it, you don't really know. Like how do you describe it? What are the adjectives? And mm-hmm. so going through this stuff, you end up having material. And then it, there's an action correction cycle we talked about action and, and strategy, you, you have to learn from the action because you can have the strategy. We've all probably heard the Mike Tyson quote, you know, good, have a strategy. And then I'm going to throw that thing out the window. The first time you get punched in the nose. Yeah. So you, we have to be willing to say, okay, took some action. What did I learn from that? And the faster we have that feedback loop, mm-hmm. the more progress we're going to make. It's when we resist having the actual honest conversations. It's like the, the work that I do with people from time to time where we're talking about their finances. And the first thing we do is I say, great, let me see your financial sheets. Let me see your bank statements. Don't just give me your bank financial statement you gave for, for the loan you just did where you lied on your application. I want to see your bank statement and your credit card, and I want to see your calendar. So your cash, your credit, and your calendar, the three C's of truth. Once you see those, the numbers, the number of minutes, the number of dollars, the number of, of swipes, I can tell you exactly what you value. I can tell you where you're going. I can kind of give you the truth. And you may not like it, which is why nobody really wants to do that because they'd rather just do the bank application, which is all BS. 
That's such an interesting point. And, you know, you were talking about resisting having honest conversations and, and you just backing up a little bit. You were talking about that person that didn't want to refer people or whatever because you've made mistakes. But we actually do people an injustice when we're not honest and sharing what we learned through those mistakes that we made. So I love that you said that resist having honest conversations that, you know, that that's part of the failure right there. And I, it, it is. It's the truth. And there's, there's a real, there's a connection around truth. There's, I noticed a lot of times when there's a certain energy, there's a certain group that will send over people to me to, to work with. And I noticed there's a certain energy around them. And then there's a different group that sends over people. And I really like working with one group, but not the other one. And I realized the ones I don't like working with are the people that are referred by a group that's based on smoke and mirrors. Mm. For example, you've got a lot of seminars that are not real. They're teaching people things and saying, if invest a thousand dollars and make a hundred thousand in your first six months cash and you're free. And I go, wow. And you know what? People are desperate. Mm -hmm. And those things, they always sell because there's always people that are hurting and they take advantage of people. And so I see that. And I don't really want to work with somebody that's in that state because they're tending to look for the hack or the pill or the four hours that they can succeed and be done forever. And I'm going, mm -mm, there's something different. I want, I want people that actually understand it takes years and that anybody can do it if you have enough commitment to it and you're willing to be honest and you're willing to be vulnerable. It's a totally different perspective. And it has to do with your, your, how you see yourself, your values, your philosophies, your principles, more than what you know. What you know doesn't really matter because what you know is like that Mark Twain thing. It's not what you know that's wrong. It's, it's what you know that just ain't so. Yeah. I mean, that is the biggest problem. And people go, oh, I know that if I do this thing I heard on this seminar, then I'm going to be rich and free in six months. And I'm like, mm-mm. But we, we get convinced because we're scared. And we have to shift into a place of more, not fear, but we have to go to, into a place of, of faith and trust in people and something bigger than us and the right people. And so it's, it's important to take the steps and not, not be so speedy, mm -hmm. to, to be willing to be patient. That's why I come back to patience because that's, there's a lot that can happen. When I did my Decade by Design program for people, it was because in 10 years, you can do anything you want. Like you can't turn into an elephant, but you can do almost anything you want in 10 years. I mean, you tell me if you want a private jet and you literally have a fifth grade education, 10 years is enough time to do it. So if people are willing to give it the time, but everybody wants everything yesterday, they don't want to do the work. They want it yesterday. And, and it's like, that's not how the, it's like turning off gravity. Mm -hmm. You can't turn off gravity, but people think that they have this special formula for it. Like, no. So principles, yep. you know, being, being honest. Just want to emphasize his number four, being willing to be patient. Uh, he keeps coming back to the same things. I love it. So speaking of learning from failures and writing books and all that, um, you went through quite a trying time and you've alluded to it a little bit, but you, you wrote a book called Reinvented Life. You had gone, I'm not going to, I'll let you tell the, tell the story, but basically you'd built like a $20 million empire and it all came crumbling down and that led to Reinvented Life, right? Yeah. I, I put a bunch of sticks of dynamite in every one of my deals. And, and so I went, I went and I, I started building up this, this portfolio. Um, I, I had this, this idea that if I just keep building, then I'll, I'll be a millionaire. And so I started off by doing what the guys in the seminars told me, built a million dollars worth of, of real estate. Then I did it again and I built some more. So I've had a couple of million and I ended up with 5 million and kept going. And so I ended up with this $20 million portfolio. And I, I mean, I mean, I had mentors. I mentioned mentors. I had one mentor, one mentor named Dan who had a castle and you can look him up and find him on YouTube. And he's an interesting dude. I spent $400,000. I invested that in my time with him over two years. So I had mentors. And then I stopped having mentors and 
I decided I was the guru. Mm. And I can tell you that we're all the guru inside of us. We also need reflection and we need, we need help seeing our blind spots. So you don't need necessarily somebody to give you the answers because you've got the answers. You need somebody to tell you that you're being an idiot sometimes and have enough respect to listen to them. I didn't, you know, when I stopped listening to anybody and I just said, I don't need to have anybody around, it got me into a lot of trouble because I thought no matter what I do, I'm going to make money. And I learned that no matter what I did, I was going to lose money. So it was the exact opposite of what my assumptions were. And that, and that led to a process where I had to say, okay, well, what the heck was I doing? I was just focusing on money and losing this $20 million portfolio, this empire being, net, you know, being $5 million down in the hole mm. and having everybody, I mean, there, Mike, there was, there was somebody that I grew up with, knew from the time I was three years old and I, he and his family invested with me. And I remember when, I mean, they were doing great for years cash flow where everybody's doing good. And when, when we went off a cliff together in 07 and 08, all the money went away. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the conversation where he, he said, you know, you are the worst thing that ever happened to me. And, and I remember his, one of his family members said, there's a special place in hell where you're going to burn. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I was trying to make you money and I was doing everything I could. And yet it just like stabbed me in the heart. And I mean, I had to go through that to really understand things that you can never learn in a book. You never learn from a teacher. You have to be your own teacher by going through the process. And it was hell on earth. But it, it was part of the journey. And, you know, I go through it and we get burned and we, we hurt. And then it gives us something of value. The, the older, the balder, the grayer we get, it just says, okay, I've been through some hell. And I think that that's a really valuable thing for us to really consider. You know, some people might be going through something not dissimilar to, to that whole experience now. And you had mentioned, um, I, we're fortunate enough to, I'm fortunate enough to be in a, a small group of guys that get, get to talk a couple times a week that you're in that group. And you had said something to all of us, I don't know, two months ago. When you're going through something and it doesn't have to be COVID-19 or a 2008, really anything, and you just go out, you, you're, you specifically told us, go out to December and what's kind of a worst case scenario and get that figured out and then just start working backwards. Because once we, once we get okay with that outcome, then we can start dealing with things. So what would your advice be? Um, just elaborate on that a little bit. What would your advice be to anybody that's going through what you went through in 2008? Um, you've said so many valuable things, um, not only on this podcast, but in the past that I think could help people get through this. So whether it's their personal finances, business, they've got investors money, any of that. Um, just talk to us a little bit about all that. First thing is detach from any assumption you made about the past continuing to be that the future is going to be the past. So if you have a business, if you've got a restaurant or if you're an investor and you've got things that have worked, ask yourself, okay, make the statement, okay, what I've done is no longer going to work mm -hmm. in any form. And, and so this is the most extreme way. It's the other thing that I'll ask, I'll start with somebody with is, okay, let's take all of your money away. Let's start over right now. What's the next thing you're going to do? And they go, because uh, people are afraid that they're going to lose. They're afraid they're going to lose their money, their job, their investments or whatever business. And I say, okay, so let's just take that all the way to the end then what happens? It's a then what question. And, and if I said, look, you, you know, there, there are people that have lost their medical licenses, for example, and then what did they do? Like their entire life was wrapped up in that one thing that made them very successful and, and made them, their survival was never really a question. Well, then that goes away and they go, what do I do? You have to reinvent yourself. So what could you do? Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what you can't, what you're going to do, ask what might you do? It's a great question. If, if you say, if I, if we ask, well, what happens if all of your money goes away? You go, I have no idea. Well, my question is, well, okay, I, look, 
if you don't know, what if you did know? What, what might it be? And just start teasing your brain because your brain has all this stuff. It's just buried mm. and it's down there. And you go, well, you know, I, I like doing this one thing or I have this skill set or, you know, maybe you're in the wrong environment. Maybe it's, you, you know, I, you know me, I, I shift environments if need be and I can do it fast. And we all can, but we tend to convince ourselves that the future needs to be based on the past. Mm. And that, that's the biggest, one of the biggest lies ever. The future is based on your vision, but it's got to be bigger than the past because if it's not bigger than the past, then the past will overwhelm it. It's like a gravitational pull. The bigger planet has the stronger force and it pulls the other one, loops, you know, the one, the smaller one loops around it generally. So if you just think about this in terms of physics, you've got to have something that's pulling harder than the thing from the past and pain from the past. Like if you lose a bunch of money, you're 10, a lot of people just go, okay, I'm down. I'm never getting back up. But you've got to, if you have a bigger vision and you start asking better questions and you get the right people around you, holy cow, everything can change in a heartbeat. Yeah. But if you do the same stuff from your past, guess what? You're going to have a bunch of people around you supporting your past and you're just going to be stuck there. So the, you have to ask better questions and start redesigning and re, redefining your life. My goodness. By the way, if you're loving this, Damien has a podcast called Financial Underdogs. So let's talk about Financial Underdogs a little bit. Is it just a podcast or you got other, you got programs and stuff in there? Yeah. So Financial Underdogs is, I started thinking about all the work that I've done with people and on myself. I've been the, the great people always ask, they ask you the same thing. Like, what do I invest in? I got 10,000 bucks, got a hundred thousand bucks. And my answer is always the same thing. You, yeah. because you're never going to have a better investment than the, the money and time you spend in you. I don't care what piece of real estate it is. I don't care what kind of stock IPO. Trust me, you go make a million or 10 million or a hundred million dollars in a hot tip. You're going to lose it just as fast. If you haven't built yourself up to the level of your, you know, if your personal development isn't at that level, it's gone. It's, it's going away. What I found is that most of us look at ourselves as underdogs. We're, we're not part of the elite, the one-tenth of 1%. We typically, I mean, most people, I mean, just that, that's the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, 99,000 people out of 100,000, uh, there's one out of 100,000 that's going to be that person that probably doesn't think of themselves as an underdog. Abigail, the Disney heiress, probably doesn't think of herself as an underdog. <laughs> but all of us, I mean, even those of us that are making millions, have lost millions, we still kind of go, okay, you know what? I'm still out there. Like, I don't have a jet with a team of 10 people that sees to my every needs and wipes my butt. Like, this is not, you know, the, the, what, the Eddie Murphy movie when you have right. somebody that literally wipes your butt. Yeah. I, I think if you don't have your butt being wiped, you're an underdog because you're still out there <laughs> making it happen. So we just have, <laughs> we have honest conversations about what the heck does it take? What questions do you have to ask? What could you ask that would be better than the stupid stuff you're asking yourself? And just challenging all this stuff that we've been told. Like most of the stuff that we've learned, honestly, it has been lies. It's been somebody else's agenda. Mm -hmm. And so when, when I think about the system, I go, well, what's a better system? The system is your own, your own curiosity and your ability and your willingness to go out there and learn and explore. Wow. It's like the old explorers from hundreds and thousands of years ago. They explored and they were kind of the underdogs. They're out there like figuring it out. I believe in everybody to figure it out. So I look at everybody as an underdog and we're just tearing apart conventional wisdom and all the sales pitches, tearing them apart. And that. then giving people really, really interesting ways to look at things so they can go figure it out. Because I believe everybody has the talent and, and the, the ability if you just unearth it. Yeah. And that's what we're there to do. Yeah, so definitely uh, dig into that a little bit. I mean, I've been listening to your podcast. It's pretty amazing. You guys don't want to miss that. So let, let's shift a little bit. So we're, we're in a crazy time and I know nobody has a crystal ball. Um, we're going to make sure this podcast gets out quickly. Um, so it's not like we're going to be months down the road, but that being said, markets are in turmoil. It's chaos out there. 
Um, first off, you've got a you've got a company called EQRP. It's a program, right? Let's talk about that a little bit. Is it is right now a good time, generally speaking, um, for people to be looking at their retirement? What's going on in that world? Most of us, our our money is sitting inside of our house and equity and our retirement account. The most of the population, if we have money, it's the it's in one of those two places. Mm-hmm. You're not going to just go spend your house. Mm-hmm. So. What we're rely, relying on is, I mean, the average 60-year-old has like 60000 or less in a 401k. So the money that's sitting there, we have options to, to do something with it. The, the dumbest option ever is what Wall Street has told us to do forever. Just put your money in for the long term and hold on. They don't really say hold on. They just say hang tight. You know, they, they say invest for the long term f- with a well-balanced portfolio. And I'm like, this is a well-balanced full of crap. You know, and and you have no control. Hell, you don't even know what's in it most of the time. So yeah, it's the right time to be looking at that. I've, I've got friends. Uh, so I'm in my early 40s and I've got friends that I met 20 years ago that were in their early 40s. And I, I was thinking about this mm. in the last year where some of my friends have started hitting 60 and I'm going, wow, some of them don't really want to work the same way they worked when they were 20, 30, and 40, but they have to because they weren't thinking about retirement. You know what we, we all know? If we think about it, time doesn't stop for us. There is no pause. And, and it's, you don't want to get to a place where you're 50, 60, 70 years old and you have to be the Walmart greeter because that's all that's there. Yeah. Like nobody had that as their vision, by the way, right? That like you're 15 years old. When I grew up, I want to be a Walmart greeter. That is the coolest thing I can imagine with my life. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about our retirement accounts and our strategy, it's about responsibility. It is not about abdicating responsibility. It's about owning it. And unfortunately, the system has said, give us your money and then go away because you're too stupid. Hmm. I fundamentally disagree with that. I think the system has gotten really good at using emotional technology through, in psychology to get people to feel stupid enough to hand their money over to somebody that will then rape and pillage them for the next decades and then hand the money back. Like we have a good friend I was talking with recently and he's, he's a doctor and surgeon and he was talking with one of his, his colleagues and they were looking at their 401ks and they, they looked at the over 30 years and they said, wow, in reality, when we did the money, we actually did the numbers and it was a 2% year over year return for 30 years. Hmm. That's what we ended up with. John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, who just passed away, said the same thing. The system is corrupt and, and totally unsustainable and wrong when the, the people that put up all the risk capital get 20% of the actual returns and the system gets the other 80. And that's how it's set up. So unless you're taking control of your money with something like the EQRP, where you've got power and control to make the choices on where your money goes, you're just going to be you're going to be the feed for the hungry animal called the system, Wall Street. So you've got it. That's, that's what I'm focusing a lot of my energy on is getting people to where they go, okay, I could do this. And how do I do it? With one of these tools. Most people don't even realize you can actually have control of your damn retirement money. They think, oh, it has to be in a 401k at Vanguard or Fidelity. Not, not true. Not true at all. Yeah. And so let, let's dig into that a little bit, because like you said, most people don't realize that they can do it, number one. But then, you know, just back to that fear thing, so many people don't do anything because they're scared. They're scared to make mistakes and everything else. So is it difficult? Like, Well, and unfortunately, the system was set up originally with pensions to where you worked and you didn't have to become an investor where you could just say, okay, well, you know what? The company is going to give me this pension. If I work here for 30 or 40 years, I'm going to have four or 5,000 a month and, and I'm good. But that, that went away in 1974 when ERISA was, was passed because these companies were, were starting to carry the weight of these legacy costs. And so it basically shifted the, the onus and the burden for being an investor 
to people that were firefighters, that were police officers, that were teachers, that were, you know, running a business. And I can tell you that business skills and investor skills are totally different. Mm -hmm. There is a very, very big difference with those things. And, and so all of a sudden people are like, okay, I got to figure it out. And then they go, well, what do I do? And they look for, they basically don't realize it, but they're looking for somebody to save them. Somebody with the great business idea, a hot stock tip. People always say, well, what are you investing in? I'm like, dude, who cares? Mm. That's what I'm doing. I'm in a different place in my life. I'm, I'm a different age. I'm a different, have a different risk tolerance. Like I understand things go wrong. I've lost money. I've lost millions on other people's deals. I've lost millions. And I go, oh, okay, well, what can I learn from that one? You know how most people do what the most people's reaction to losing money is who do I get to sue? Who am I going to sue? Cause it was, it, I'm a, I'm a victim. Hmm. And that, I mean, it's a terrible situation where that's our natural knee, knee jerk response. But then again, you look at every bus in America and what does it have on it? Injured? Call me. I'm your injury expert. Yeah, you know, totally. I'll be your best friend. And yeah. I'm like, go get a dog, but they, you know, get a lawyer instead, I guess. I don't know. We recently, um, recently two and a half, three months ago, um, a guy that runs my construction company got married and it was on the west side of Phoenix. And that night, as we were driving back from the wedding, we counted 124 different advertisements and billboards for injury attorneys from West Phoenix to East Phoenix. That's insane. It's crazy. So, um, so who's the EQRP for or who's it not for? Is it? So the EQRP is for, for someone that wants to invest and take control of their money is somebody that wants to invest typically in things, not stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. If you want to invest in, in real estate, you want to invest in physical gold, you want to invest in business startups that are not, that are not public. It's, and it's really more about responsibility than anything. It's about somebody that says, okay, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to point the finger anywhere else. I'm taking responsibility. There's no blaming. There's no victiming. There's no justifying. This is why it happened. It's like, look, if you, if, if you believe that your future is your responsibility and your opportunity, then the EQRP is something that you must look at. If you think that it's somebody else's job to feed you when you're 65, 70, 80 years old in diapers, then this is not for you. So I don't know, guys, make sure you hear what he just said. I mean, most of the things that most of us want to invest in, you can invest in in your EQRP, right? I mean, That's real it. estate, gold, silver, we don't have to turn it over to the vanguards of the world. It, this is a choice. It's also brainwashing. I mean, the system is, has been set up for forever telling us that, hey, go get your job, have a 401k or an IRA, and then take that money and hand it over to a financial advisor with a bunch of credentials that don't even make any sense. You know, it's, I, I forget who said it, but it's crazy that you can become, you can have certified credentials. Hell, a lot of people just make them up now, but you can have credentials like certified uh, financial planner or these different things. And some of these are like a matter of days or weeks. And then you have this certificate and then all of a sudden you're an authority. I'm like, really? You're an authority with a certificate. What I like to do is I like to say, okay, if you're going to sell me financial advice, show me your financials. Mm, I want to see what you really are behind the curtain. Like get naked with me, yeah. naked money. That's what we should be talking about. It's <laughs> because otherwise we're just talking about a sales pitch and people get, they get distracted by the sparkly glitter on the front of a manual. I mean, that's, that's not what's going to give you security or freedom. It's about your level of deep responsibility for whatever you're doing. You know, when I first heard this concept, um, it, I, I almost felt, I almost felt like I'd been stolen from, or, you know, somebody hid something from me. Why, why do all of our financial planners, you know, our neighbors and our friends, many of them are financial planners. Why don't they tell us about this stuff? 
So there's there if you look at the actual money and the actual amount of money that's made with fees and commissions, there's no way that a system is going to say, hey, here's how much money we're making and how much you're not making. Mm-hmm. And so and sometimes sometimes people don't know, but I, there was a there was a, a person that I worked with years ago and made a lot of money in the in the insurance space. And there's a lot there's there are good people in sure. the financial advisory space. This person was not one of them. And when I was I was watching what was going on and how the pitch was going, I remember hearing that there's not the commissions are really, really small. They're and that's a lie that they're really big. This we're talking about life insurance. And I went, huh. That's really interesting because I was the CFO for this person's company. And so I saw exactly how much the commissions were. And I went, you're literally lying. And this person was totally okay with it. And so unfortunately, I, there are a lot of people that give real, true, honest advisors a bad name because they're thinking about their self-interest first. They're thinking about how they keep that money. And it's because of something called AUM, Assets Under Management. The goal for financial advisors is to get a big old pool of money and then just ride the fees indefinitely. That's why a lot of advisors, what are they doing? They're going to they're golfing, they're going to Hawaii, they have a lot of free time because the, the fees continue forever. Market goes up, they make money. Market goes down, they make money. They always make money. It's always a percentage. It's, it's an unfortunate reality that you're just there to feed them. Like you are their annuity. And, and so thinking it's something different is usually not the case. You just have to see about the alignment. We see this all the time, Mike, because people will say, okay, I want to take some of my money from, or maybe all of it from their, their 401k or their IRA that maybe an advisor is, is managing and they want, to, they want to do something in real estate. And the advisor goes, ooh, real estate's dangerous. If you want to do real estate, let's, do, let's give you a REIT. And you can just be, you can be, you can have a, and I'm like, yeah, they told you that because they want to keep feeing you. And then you say, well, I want to get some gold and silver. And they go, oh, we've got an ETF, an exchange traded fund called GLD. It's a fake gold fund. I mean, they don't say fake. They say it's a gold fund. But <laughs> it's like, why do they keep, t- why do they tell you certain things? Because they're feeding on you. Yeah. They're not thinking about your best interest. Unfortunately, that's more common than not. And I wish it wasn't, but it's just true. You know, it's interesting. I was originally from Nevada. Um, and so many times being in Vegas, I just walk down there and I'd see these casinos and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, all this doesn't get built and paid for by the casino giving away the money. And then last year, my partner and I were walking through New York. We had a bunch of meetings and I'm just looking and I'm thinking the same thing. I'm looking it up at all these buildings with the big names on it. And I'm like, this doesn't all, and I'm not, by the way, I'm a proponent for capitalism and making money and all that stuff. But it so resonates what you're saying right now because the fees, the the fees, the fees. And it's not really, I guess the the takeaway for me, um, and I've never been a big 401k Wall Street investment kind of guy. Um, I've always just invested in real estate businesses, things I can understand, learn, study, and somewhat have some control over. Um, you're saying I can have all that in the EQRP. Yeah, but don't tell anybody because they might come after you. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of it's crazy because I, I, we, we hear, and my, my experience, so that they don't decide to come sue me, is like a company like Edward Jones. You, 100% of the time that we've had an experience with Edward Jones, there has been an experience of them saying, no, we're, no, 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 we don't want you to have your money and control of your money because, well, it's our money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the level of arrogance that we've seen at a lot of companies, and especially that one, is really disturbing that there is another choice, but 
these companies have been built on the backs of people like you're saying. And you go to Wall Street, you go look up in the, in, the, in the skies, every major city, what do you see? You see insurance companies and banks and, and you see them on the sides of buildings. Why? Because they keep feeing, they keep pulling, they're, they're pulling the wealth out. There's, I forget the number, I think it was like 18 or 22 or 25% of our GDP was based on the financial industry, mm. financial services. What are they doing? Yeah. They're not making things, they're taking things. Somebody else makes something and then they financialize it and they steal the money through fees and different you know, weapons of mass destruction called derivatives. And it's really, it's hurting people. And they go, oh, we're doing, we're doing better because we're, we're creating credit, we're creating opportunities. Not really. I, I, I just, I don't agree with that. I think that there's, unfortunately, a lot of very smart people are saying, well, that's where all the money is because I can use a corrupt system to gain myself instead of going and doing something positive for society. And there's not really much responsibility when you look at big companies, big banks, if they do something where they cheat, what happens? They just pay a fine. Nobody ever gets handed their head. And that, that fine ends up coming out of the fees. They just charge more fees. Like, why are you being charged for checking accounts and different things right now? Because of fines, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in fines for these systems cheating. Mm. And so what does this all mean? It means you need to get out of the damn system and take control of it. So you don't have to have, to, you don't have to deal with it. You don't care if Chase gets fined because you're, you're not paying them fees for anything. Yeah. That's the big point. You can take control and take your money back. So for somebody that has, you know, a 401k, they've rolled over, they, it's from a job in the past. Could they roll this into an, a QRP right now? Yeah. Any, anything that you have from the past. And in fact, so not only normally you could take 401ks, 457s, thrift savings plans if you're a federal government employee. And when you leave, you can take the money and roll it over into an EQRP. What's happened recently in, in the early 2020, when we had the CARES Act, things changed. So while you're still working somewhere, you can take $100,000 out and roll it into your own plan, your own EQRP. While you're still working, that's very rare, but now it's fairly common to pull that 100,000 out. So even if you have a lot more, whatever you have, you may have a chance to take a pretty good chunk and roll it over tax-free, penalty-free right now. And this is only for 2020. This, this is going away at the end of the year. Is there something, um, because I've heard too that, are they, do they offer something where people can borrow against it? Yeah, you've, there's also an option to borrow. A 401k norm, oftentimes has a $50,000 loan built into it where what happened with, with the CARES Act, they bumped that to 100,000 and you can borrow up to all of your money up to 100,000, whichever's less. So like, let's say you had $200,000 in your 401k. You could literally borrow 100,000 and you could take a $100,000 disbursement, which can act like a loan. What this did is it gave everybody a chance to tap into their retirement resources to either live on or to go and invest in something. What you do with it is up to you. There, there aren't any strings on this. It's not like the, the SBA things where you had to get the money and use it for payroll with the CARES Act. This is simply money you put in your checking account and then you have all the options in the world. So, but if you take it as a loan, you have to pay it back. So just getting super practical here for a second, little maybe takeaway, I want to pick your brain on this. So if somebody, instead of borrowing that money, took it, rolled it into an EQRP, and then they, I'm not going to get into the details of this. We'll let you answer these questions for them later. But then they wanted to invest it in a piece of real estate or something that was cash flowing. They don't have to pay that back. So the, the, the disbursement, if you pull it out and you roll it into an EQRP, that money's just in the EQRP until you actually decide to spend it. So there's no paying back. If you borrow the money, let's say you borrow $100,000, you can do whatever you want with it and then you just have to pay it back and it, you have six years to pay it back. So whatever you're doing in the meantime, over those six years, all that, if you bought land or you bought real estate, all that cash flow comes to you personally. 
and then you just owe that chunk of money, the, the original borrowed amount, you owe it back to your plan yeah. uh, within those six years. So I would just say to anybody that's listening right now, if you're considering taking advantage of this and borrowing that money, I would strongly consider getting in touch with Damien and consider rolling that over into an EQRP because then you could invest it elsewhere um, and get some cash flow and pull that out literally out of the market and, and invest it on your own through an EQRP. So I know a lot of people, I've talked to people lately that are asking and thinking about you know, borrowing against it, even if they don't need that hundred grand, they're like, I'm going to borrow this for six years. I'm going to invest it in something else. Well, just pull it out, put it into an EQRP and then go invest it in something else. And, and then you don't have to worry about paying that back necessarily the, the way you would have before. So um, huge gold, man. So speaking of gold, um, <laughs> Damien, who's done so many things, he owns a gold and silver company too. What's, what's your uh, thoughts on gold and silver right now? Well, you can, you can see what's happening with all the printing. And if you don't know a whole lot about the banking system or the Federal Reserve, the gold and silver has been money for thousands of years. Our system is set up on fiat, which is fake money. It's just printed money. And there's this thing called MMT. They, we call it modern Marx. Uh, the nickname is modern Marxist theory. It's modern monetary theory where you can just print money and it, everything's fine. What we're finding instead is that reality of gravity is happening. You print the money and every asset starts to grow in, in value. The only reason we haven't had inflation over the last 20, 30 years is because we've had globalization. So people say, oh, the prices are the same. It actually would have been a lot less, or sorry, a lot higher if we didn't have globalization because we have a lot of cheap labor where we have billions of people that are still willing to work for less than you know, 10 bucks a day. So that's been offsetting all this printing. But at some point, we're, what I see happening is there's more of a nationalist focus for many countries, including the United States. And so as we do more in this country and we do less with international trading, it's going to reduce the power of globalization. When you re reduce the power of globalization and you have inflation only, because it's very deflationary if you have globalization, it brings prices down. If you have prices come, going up from inflation, from printing, then what are you going to have? You're going to have the dollar getting crushed, and that's going to make gold and silver a lot more valuable. So right now is a very, very good time to be making sure you have gold and silver and probably a lot more than you ever thought you should. Um, Damien and I have both had the opportunity of spending some time with Robert Kiyosaki and we often talk about his five G's guns, gold, grub, ground, and gasoline. Um, I, I like the way he just put that into the five G's, but what's your advice for people right now? What should people be focused on? I love how you said, you know, invest in yourself and your mindset first, but what, what, other than that, what, what should people be doing right now? If you don't, honestly, if you don't have any gold or silver, order some physical gold and silver. I don't care if it's a thousand dollars worth. I don't care if it's a hundred dollars worth. Get one ounce of silver because there's something about you connecting to real money. There's real value there. There's real energy. Like it didn't just get printed out of thin air by somebody's pipe dream or the, you know somebody's agenda. To it, it's there's something valuable about holding something that you you created your labor created this this the ability to exchange for this physical thing and this physical thing cannot be devalued because because somebody's printing and it'll help you to start connecting. It, it's Kiyosaki calls this God's money. Yeah. It does something interesting. It attracts wealth. So buy it or don't buy it. But what I'm saying, but go buy some gold and silver and then hold it and see what happens to your actual income. Just watch. I've been doing this for years and it's amazing to me. If I want to make more money, I do two things. I buy gold and silver and I give money away. Those two things have a powerful Northern, like there's a pull mm. and people go, I can't give away money because I don't have any money exactly when you need to give away money mm -hmm. go give away something go give away your time teach like do something be charitable it opens you up if you're if you're holding on to what you have tightly just think about what that looks like it's like hugging somebody 
you're squeezing, you're compressing, you're not breathing, and you're not seeing. When you start opening up, you're breathing, there's more oxygen getting into your system, more blood, more oxygen in your blood, it makes you stronger. You're more vibrant. You can see things. You are going to touch opportunities. It changes everything. So it's about tension and it's about compression of your own spirit when you're being too miserly. So be, be a good pirate and be a good charitable pirate. And I'm telling you right now, it'll change your life. You know, just a practical thing that I've um, talked with my wife about for years, just think about, I, you know, Damien, you've spent a lot of time in Alaska and you have uh, a lake that's got fresh water supply coming in and you've got fresh water flowing out. And that's constantly just fresh water. It's a beautiful lake. But then you, you get these little mud ponds where, you know, no more water's coming in, no water's going out. I mean, that's nasty. You can't drink that stuff. You, that, that's the same thing you're talking about. If you don't have an outflow of whether it's money or energy or teaching or coaching or mentoring, the inflow is going to stop as well. You can only handle so much. Only so much is going to come to you if you're not giving that away. This, this is the circulation. It's, it's a life force. Uh, when in, in the time, there was like pre-08 and post-08. And uh, for me, before 08, I was excellent at consuming. Like I was the world's, world's number one hedonistic consumer. It was really embarrassing. And then afterwards, I, I was like, well, I've just got to give it away. Like I've just got to contribute. And I thought that's the, that's the path. I mean, like this was my light. And then I realized, wait a second. So he, just think about it this way. If you're really good at, at giving gifts, but you're not good at receiving them, then when anybody tries to give you a gift, you take away the ability for them to contribute mm -hmm. because you block it. I was like, oh, and I started thinking about this. There's got to be circulation. You've got to be good at receiving and giving. So con consuming is, is as important as contributing because consuming is the other side of somebody's contribution. Wow. So there is this cir circulation that it's a life force. You can't stop it. It's like the, it's like the water. You stop the flow of the water. Everything gets nasty, including yeah. your spirit. So circulate find a way to circulate give and receive it really will change everything i love it well as you guys can tell just by hearing all the value and wisdom that mr damien drops and brings and this is always the case i just i'm so fortunate to have gotten to know you and spend some time so final words where where can people find you anything that we haven't covered that you think they need to know well yeah there so if, if you want more uh, come visit me at damianlupo.com. It doesn't really matter how you spell it. You're going to get to the same place. The, the thing that I've learned is um, these mistakes that we tend to avoid are they're, they're, little, they're little gift balls wrapped up in pain mm. uh, by God, by the universe. It's, they're, they're being handed to us. And it's, you, you ever hear anybody say, I had that idea. And then they see something on TV. Somebody made a billion dollars. Like, I had an idea. Well, these ideas, these opportunities, are, are coming through our psyche all the time. The question is, what are you doing with them? Mm -hmm. and, and if you're sitting there being a victim, like, like 2020 or 2008 is happening and, you, and you're not willing to say, okay, I'm going to be responsible, then you're missing out on the opportunity. And when you, when you decide that, oh, well, my life's over because of a number on a piece of paper or because of a lawsuit or whatever, you're missing the point. That's where all the life is. It's in the growth. Mm -hmm. And so just understanding these mistakes and things that you can't control the one thing you can control is how you interpret the event and so once you take responsibility 100 percent for your life everything changes because nobody can take away control from you anymore ever again responsibility is the key do that everything changes wow that's amazing well i really appreciate your time all your wisdom and just everything you bring to the world and brought to this audience so i appreciate you being here thanks mike it's been a pleasure man
If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you'd take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.